We are starting a new series uh, entitled Rising Strong, and the tagline we're using, excuse the elephant there, uh, the tagline we're using is finding the courage to keep going when life knocks you down. And our hope is to inspire you to keep going when you hit a bumpy patch, when you're going through uh, a time of trial. The, the truth is that regardless of how solid our theology is, Regardless of how much faith we have, how perfect we can line up God and our worldview and how everything makes sense, regardless of, of how all those things are, all of us will pass through difficult seasons in our life. And so uh, even Jesus says in John 16, Jesus himself says, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. So trials come regardless of how hard we try and how well we plan and prepare, how hard we work at things in life, we still will find that we will face some trials. Life will not always work out the way we anticipate or the way we hope. Now, I am a, I'm a planner at heart. I, uh, when I take leadership surveys, leadership styles, or those, you know, the, the kind of the strengths and the gifts and all those, you'd have those personal assessment, uh, they get in your head and make you answer questions and who are you and what makes you tick. Um, almost every time I ever do those things, in my, my strengths, I have strategic or strategy uh, comes right to the top. And so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a planner and I take great joy out of maximizing my life and much to the chagrin of my family, I take great joy out of planning and maximizing the lives of people closest to me. And so um, if you're a part of the ministry team here and helping out, if you're one of my, my precious daughters, they, they know, uh, unfortunately, that I like to think about their lives as well. And what can we do to make life better for you this year and uh, working on things like that. And, uh, and, and with teenagers, that's, it, it goes really well. It's a, it's a great thing. Um, <laughs> When we were in, uh, uh, we, we did our Disney trip, a family Disneyland trip last year, actually at the, at the end of April, so almost a year ago, and uh, I advanced, planned every single day. I, I found some software and some programs, did a statistical analysis of trends of which park had more people and at what times and what day, and I had every day when we were there, I knew which, which day we would go so that it would be, we would be able to maximize our time take full advantage of the fast pass system, what park we would go on, uh, what rides in what order we would start and go on. And, um, you know, uh, it was awesome. Some families, they, they, well, I don't know if my kids enjoyed it quite as much, but I was, we were hitting it. Like, it was great. So some, some of the families we noticed in Disneyland, um, they were like six and eight people across and just kind of like, sauntering through Disneyland, like, where should we eat? Where sh what ride should we? Oh, this ride looks good. And, and they, it was so hard. The, the, the gridlock of the families wandering through Disneyland. Well, the Johnsons, we were a machine. We were single file, everybody in behind. I would find the best path and you, if, it was, if you were a drone view looking at our family, we would have been this beautiful winding, weaving in and out, get to that next ride, get to it, and make it happen. And um, we had speed and efficiency that would impress the best business leaders of the world. 
And we crushed the fast pass system. We advanced to the front of the line where people would actually wait in line for two hours at a time. And we would just walk right by them, get right to the front, get on the ride, and hit the other one. And um, we had advance reservations for meals. I, I booked uh, lunch reservations three months ahead of time because I knew, I knew where we would be in what park at what time and what restaurant was there that we could pick. And, um, and you laugh at me, but I will tell you this. When you're in Disneyland with 45,000 other people and they're all kind of like, hey, it's lunchtime. You kids want to get something to eat? And uh, there are like 2,000 sit-down tables and there are over 40,000 people in the park. And at lunchtime, it gets busy. And you're waiting in line all day and it's hot and sunny and then you have to wait in line at a restaurant. But the Johnsons weaved in and out, and we went to the front, and they said, oh, Mr. Johnson, we've been expecting you. Come right this way. And we sat down, and we, we were in the shade, because I requested an umbrella in the shade. <laughs> and uh, we had our iced teas within a minute and our milkshakes, and we sat down, and oh, it was awesome. And we looked at all the people waiting in line to get their, their lunch. And um, yeah, it was good. Now... Um, I, I sat down in the, in the shade with my milkshake and I had a little bit of gloating and pride and I, I, I confessed to being a little bit of the, the pumped up early bird who got the worm. I, I told my kids so many times, see kids, it, it's good, it pays off to plan and to be prepared. You see all those poorie suckers out there? There's like, they... <laughs> Look at those losers that are like waiting in line. Look at us in our iced tea in the shade. And I, I was smug and I felt so great. It was awesome. And then we were waiting uh, to just finish and wrap up and we had a fast pass for Big Thunder Mountain. Uh, great ride, loved it. We hit it like 20 times. It was great. And um, we were heading to Big Thunder Mountain and some tourist had unloaded their lunch on Big Thunder Mountain, and it got shut down for cleaning and maintenance. And my careful strategic planning ground to a halt because it threw out the sequence and the cycle, and that was, and then we couldn't get this ticket, and we couldn't, and all of a sudden, we were like all the other losers in Disneyland. <laughs> hey, kids. Maybe we should wait two hours in this line. And it all went out the window. It all was flushed down the toilet. I had my, my agenda that we were crossing off. We knew exactly where we were going to go. And where it, I put it in the garbage and spent the rest of the day wandering around. And I realized yet again that um, no matter how you prepare or how hard you try, you cannot control everything. And life will knock you down. You are not in control of all the other people in your life. You're not in control of the stock market. You're not in control of the economy. You're not in control of your job and your friends and everybody else and all the things that intersect your life. And so at some level, all of those things can hit us and those things can combine and they can knock us down. And they don't, Things don't work out the way we expect them to. And you know, it doesn't matter how hard you try or how hard you plan or how perfect you make it on your end. It's still going to happen. And so when things don't work out the way they're supposed to, uh, we have a choice. 
we can either lay down in the mud or quit and quit or somehow find a way to get back up and keep going. And we have a video to show you. The 600 meter underway, Heather Dornard in Minnesota finished second in this event a year ago. She was in lane four. And Dornan is probably going to be your favorite. She actually won the NCAA championships in 2006 in the 800, but she only won one Big Ten championship in the two years. Three laps in this event, 600 meters, three times around the 200 meter track here at the field house. What a bold move by Fallon. She's looking very confident, and the Penn State runner is just running amazing today. She did win her heat in the 400, but ended up taking fourth overall. That's Fondor moving into the lead, a sophomore from Penn State. Dornard in running second. Dornan last year scored 23 points for the Golden Gophers in their Big Ten Championship, so they're really relying on getting a lot of points from her this weekend, and she's just coming by Fondor now in the home stretch, heading into the Bell Lock. Gordon falling down gets up quickly, but that's going to cost her. Lucky she wasn't injured. Her teammate just went to the front, though, so they may be able to recover from that. And Dornan is flying down the back she stretch. Is she catching is catching up. She is going to catch Fondor, and she may catch the leaders. Wow. Well, she's got Fond. This is a gutsy effort by Dornan. is amazing. To, to fall in a 600, I mean, this is basically a sprint. I mean, this is an extended 400, basically. To, to fall with 200 meters to go and get up and win, that is unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's one of the most exciting rounds wow. Here's the fall. Oh, she trips on Fawn's shoe. It looked like Fawn just clipped her heel and she went down just before the bell lap. Fawn Dora had the high hurdler. To avoid a collision and she is powering down this home stretch just doing everything she can to win this heat okay it's a great uh, example and a great picture of what happens when we fall down and the power that can come the way that uh, we can uh, open up a new reality and a new opportunity and a new hope and a new future by getting back up and keep going and not quitting and not giving up. Of course, it's probably easier said than done, but uh, there's a famous Charles Swindle quote that says, life is 10% what happens to us and 90% of how we react to it. And finding the strength to get back up and to keep going, it really is how we create a stronger future that's filled with hope and new promise, which kind of brings us to the question, how, how do we get back up when life knocks us down? And this week, as we look at this, I want to talk to you about the power of perspective. And it really comes from looking at this, this famous uh, New Testament scripture in Philippians 1.6. It says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Perspective to know that God is still present and God is still at work in our lives even when it looks like things are falling apart. And I want to look at a few key areas of, of, of how we can regain and recalibrate, get some new focus, uh, some new spiritual perspective over our life. 
And one of the first areas that I think is so important is to understand that, that to have perspective, to see beyond the moment that we're in right now. And sometimes life, when, when, when we're really going through it, it's like the only thing we can see is that obstacle and that issue and that thing. It just, it, it becomes so huge. And we kind of, we're, we're, we're in that moment and it's hard to see beyond that moment. Some of you know, I own my own business called Avcom Technical Solutions. And, and Avcom is a professional AV equipment provider. So we would do sales and some design and installation to churches and theaters and uh, schools and things like that for, for projectors and speakers and, and things. And uh, a few weeks ago, I was invited to teach some technical workshops at the Levite Summit. The Levite Summit is an annual church-based worship and arts conference that's held at Trinity Baptist. It was a couple weeks ago, and they said, why don't you come and, and teach? Uh, they wanted to know what we're doing here with our streaming and how we do our, our in-ear monitors and, and, and talk to us about how you do that in the church and so other churches can learn as, as they're doing those things. And, and I'm, I'm proud of our team and, and, the, and the level of, of technical excellence and things that they do here. It's great, and we're, we're really blessed with them. And so they wanted us to share that with some others. And so I actually called in some, some favors to some of the manufacturer reps that I, that I work with, and some of them came and participated on the weekend, and they sent a whole bunch of demo gear. And we actually set up a table, a, a, like a trade show booth in the lobby on the Saturday. And uh, people could come by and look and you know, kind of play with the gear. And, and it, was, uh, it, was a, it was a great weekend. And well, after the conference was all done, I had a garage full of AV gear waiting to get shipped back. And uh, laser video projectors and fancy LED lights and all kinds of stuff. I had a, a digital sound mixer in my garage that was uh, worth more than a Honda Civic. And uh, it, was, it's, it was pretty awesome. And so uh, all in, there's like probably about $100,000 worth of gear in my garage. And uh, on Monday morning, we were getting the kids ready for school. And Angela comes up and she looks at me and really serious and she says, uh, I don't want to stress you out, honey. And instantly now I'm stressed out. <laughs> and uh, she says, I just noticed that the front door was left unlocked all night. And so when I went down to check on things, I found out that the garage door had been left open all night. And, uh, and as I looked some more, uh, all the cars are open and unlocked. And uh, I don't know if I mentioned I live in Rutland. Okay, so uh, ah, a sick, sinking feeling washed over me. And in the, in the moment, the instant, the fraction of a second it took to go from the kitchen table where we were getting breakfast ready to get downstairs and get into the garage and start looking at things, I was like, that, that worst case scenario stuff, it is like right there. Like, I was convinced we were going to be homeless by the time I got to the garage because I'm going to have to cover this stuff and, and what's going to happen and we're going to file for bankruptcy and maybe if we get that RV, the pastor's family can move in at the church <laughs> and uh, everything will be okay maybe that way. And so I rushed out and uh, I went to the garage and I had that sick feeling. I was like, oh. And I started to go through it and, and it was obvious that things had, somebody had been going through things and things were moved around and, uh, and I looked around and... Uh, thankfully and luckily, and, and somehow the Lord's hand protected us, uh, the only thing taken was uh, a pair of headphones 
and uh, a leather portfolio with sermon notes on generosity, on a sermon on generosity. <laughs> and so um, I, I, I was like, oh. But that feeling, like, and it's like, what, how, how did this happen? And then I went on my dad investigation to figure out what, what happened. And it turns out that one of my blessed children uh, needed to get something ready for school the next morning. And after not finding it in the backpack, figured it must be in the van and opened up the garage only to find that dad's gear was all over and the van was actually in the driveway. It wasn't in the garage. So they hit the garage door and up went the garage door and the light left on and went out with the key and unlocked the van and turned on all the lights in the van and went through the van not in the van, do it in the car, and did the same in the car, not in the car, go through the front door, leave the front door unlocked, leave the cars in the, unlocked and all the lights on, the garage with the light on and the door, and discover that it was in the backpack in the room all along, go to bed and have a great sleep. <laughs> and um, never once thinking, should I turn off the lights in the cars and lock the doors? Should I lock the front door? Should I possibly close the garage door so none of dad's stuff gets stolen and we end up homeless in a van down by the river? Uh, <laughs> she just had a great sleep because she found her homework assignment. And um, what, what happens to teenagers, I don't know. It's like they hit 13 and it's like they check their brain and they just say, here, can you... Can you hold on to this for a couple of years? I, I don't need this. I'm going to go with emotions instead for a couple of grades. And uh, I'll get it back, you know, later when I need it. And, and, you know, in those moments, I confess to not having the most abundance of loving feelings for my children. And uh, you know, everyone tells me it, it will get better. Uh, we had coffee on Friday night with some people uh, some friends that, that have had their, their kids go through those years. And they all told me again and again and again, it's okay, you'll get through it, it's fine, everything gets better again, and it's just a season and it'll pass. And uh, I tell you what, you better not be lying to me, okay? <laughs> because I will not be able to live if it keeps going longer than this season that we're in. Um, the point is that I have to remember that there's a perspective of the big picture of the lifelong blessing of having children and being parents. And if I let this one little season with teenagers with no brains that I'm in right now, if I let that define and dictate things, it will sour my relationship with them. And this is something that we know that so many parents have told us that, you know, Angela, and Chad, you need to remember the bigger picture. And being parents is more than the moment you're in right now. It's, it, it actually is a much bigger, more blessed, wonderful experience. It's more than just this moment of difficulty and tension and trying to figure it out. And um, if we lose perspective of that, if we lose perspective of that, it's, it's, it's really difficult. And so what happens is, if we lose that perspective, uh, when life is kicking us in the butt, the only thing that we will focus on, the only thing that we will see is that thing, is that obstacle, is that problem, is that trial. That's the only thing that we see. And what we need is we need the perspective to be able to pull back and get a, get a, a, a bigger view that this is just a moment. 
and you can get through this moment. And there's so much good on the other side of it. And don't let this one moment control and dictate and determine your whole relationship and your whole life and, and let that be the thing that sets your, your, the path and the course that you're on. But get through that and understand that there's so much more. And so when that trial is staring at us in the face, it's hard to see everything else. Um, Bono and you too, there's a, there's a little bit of an older song. They sing, you've got stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it. It's actually a great tune. And there's some really great redeeming thoughts in the lyrics of that song. It's like we get stuck so often in that moment and in that trial and in that experience and in that difficulty and we can't get out of it. We can't seem to get beyond it and it's the only thing we can see. And you know, the moment that you're in right now, for those of you who are going through an incredible trial, I cannot minimize or just brush that away. It's real, it's there, it's hard. But for those of you that are going through that, to be able to have the perspective that the moment you're in right now is just one paragraph of your story. It's just one part of who you are. It's not your whole story. And so my prayer is that God will somehow give you the perspective to understand that this trial, it's just this one paragraph of your story. There, if you can have the courage to get up and to keep going and to get through this, you will find this, that Jesus is faithful and Jesus is good and Jesus has a lot of really great story writing left in your life. And that moment that you're in right now is not the end. It is not the last chapter. It is not the conclusion of the story. It's gonna be a great story. When you go back and read it, it's gonna be a cliffhanger moment. It's gonna be a what happened? How did they get out of this? What was next? It's gonna be a page turner. But it is not going to be the thing. You are not left there. You are not left where you are right now. Jesus can write really good stories over your life. We just need to find the courage to get through, to get unstuck in this moment that seems to be defining us and get into the other parts and the other things. Jesus can redeem and Jesus can write good stories over our life. And so get out of the moment, the perspective to see life beyond just this moment that we're stuck in. Another area of, of having perspective to see that God is still at work. Perspective to understand that, that even when it looks like we don't, we don't see it, we don't know why, we don't know how, and that to know and to understand that God is still at work in our lives. One of the lies of the enemy is to convince us that our situation, that our story, that the paragraph that we're in right now, or the stories and the chapters in our life previous that have led up to where we are right now, that, that those things are beyond hope. To make us believe that God cannot help us, that we're, we're beyond hope. You know, it's amazing. When I talk to people, and they, sometimes they have, they have pastoral questions. You know, on one level, we, so many of us understand this. So many of us understand that God is faithful. He doesn't leave us or forsake us, that God will always be true to forgive us, that God will always do it. God will always love us. We can't escape the love of God. We all believe that, 
but then we somehow believe the lie except me. Except I, like I'm the one exception to that. Like I know that's kind of the way God operates for, for most people, but I'm pretty sure that I've used that all up. I'm pretty sure that whole without limit thing doesn't apply to me. And somehow we, we begin to believe this. And we can look at the train wreck and the collateral damage and all of the stuff and all the pain and all the hurt that's in our life and we think we're the exception to that. And I would encourage you that God is faithful to complete the work that he began in you. And when it looks like you don't understand where he is, you have not gone too far, you have not done too much, you cannot outrun God's grace. God will find you, God will be with you, God will restore you because he loves you and because when he sent his son to the cross, he has already declared his love over you. It's already done. He already declared your worth to him by going to the cross, by giving his life. He has already said, I love you, I give my life for you, I will not give up on you. I will not quit. I will always forgive. I will always be there. I will always help. I will always be present. He's already declared that over our life. And we have to find the way and the courage to accept that and to live in that. And it can be really hard. I'll tell you a little story of a newer couple that's coming to our church. They've been coming for about four or five months. And um, I won't disclose any of their names or anything like that. But uh, you know what? They love our church and they're they're just electric. I love when people are just like, they're, when God is working in them and they're like, everything is sparking and coming alive and they're just so excited about like faith and Jesus and, and it's like they come to church every week and they're like, oh, what's God gonna say and what's Chad and what's Ed gonna say this week and who's leading worship and they're, it's, oh man, that's encouraging as a pastor, it's great. And uh, no matter how stinky our sermons are, they always love our sermons and it's, it's, it's awesome. And every week, God speaks to them, and, and every week, God wrecks them, and, and he meets with them, and, and it's like they can't get enough of Jesus in their life. And so, I wanted to get to know them a little better, and we were chatting, and we met a couple weeks ago, and I listened to them tell me their story, just so I could, you know, hear a little bit more. And you know, the more they talked, the more shell-shocked I became. The more I was like, oh, oh my goodness. I can't believe it. I, I had to have tissues listening to their story. I just couldn't believe the, the, the pain, the backgrounds, the tragedy, the heartache, the brokenness in every area, in every relationship, scarred by dysfunction, abuse, addiction, trauma. And the pain in their story is heartbreaking and unbearable to hear. And I was sitting in the office on a Sunday morning before church and they're in there and I'm listening to this and I just felt like so broken and I just couldn't believe the pain in their story. And I can't explain it because despite all they've been through, the light and the love of Jesus is all over them in the most profound way. It is a beautiful thing. And I, I, I literally, I cannot explain it. The statistical odds of this couple finding one another and ending up in our church and, and, and being, having their heart opened up to the love of Jesus 
And, and, and talking about Jesus and what he's doing and how he's healing us and meeting friends with other people in our church. And it's like the most important thing. In the, and they don't, they don't drink and they don't smoke. And they, they gave they, all these things. They, they've just, their life is like 180 and everything is coming together. And, and it, it shouldn't happen. If you looked at the statistics and the odds, you think there's no way. But somehow, the Lord has given them a glimpse of his mercy and his goodness, and there is hope. You know what? The hope of Jesus so overshadows all of the other brokenness and all the other dysfunction in their life. And the more they are under his wing, the more they are in the presence of Jesus, the more their heart is stirred, the more warm that they become and filled with the presence of Jesus, it, is, it just becomes this amazing work of his grace. And I am amazed at the story and the, the mess and the hurt and the pain in their life. I'm amazed that they're here in church making a go of it. And they're learning to walk free and it's a beautiful thing. And so as they were sharing their story, sometimes I see, uh, sometimes I see pictures. Sometimes I see, uh, you know, God gives me like a, a, a bit of a vision or an image or a picture. And, and that's many times when I'm praying with people and I, I would say uh, prophetically, that's one of the ways that God really speaks to me. And so as they were sharing their story, and I just, I just, I had to close my eyes and I was just listening to it. I saw on the table in front of us Every, every experience, every point of pain, every dysfunction, every scar, every hurt was a, a piece of cloth that had been ripped off them and put on the table, crumpled up and wrinkled, tattered, frayed edges, just violently pulled and torn, and it was this pile, and it was all different material and all different phases and stages in their life and all the all this stuff and it was this big pile of I was like praying I'm like what is this what is this and 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 if you looked at one it was like on its own it was this it was useless it was just this crumpled up wrecked up frayed up piece of fabric and as I was praying with them I saw the Lord saw the Lord's hands come down and I saw God begin to take Pieces of the fabric. And I saw the Lord begin to stitch it and sew it together. And God took one piece after another and he began to put it all together and he began to sew it all together. And you know what? You didn't see the torn, frayed edges anymore. And it all came together in this beautiful, beautiful garment. And as I was praying with them, and I, and I, I, I prayed over them, and I shared the things that, that God, was, God was speaking to me and God was showing me. And you no longer saw the torn individual pieces. But Jesus took all of it, and he sewed it all together in this beautiful garment. And I saw the Lord, as I was praying with them, they were, they were sitting kind of facing one another like this. And I saw the Lord take this garment and drape it over their shoulders. And he said, what the enemy has intended for harm, I have taken and transformed and turned into a beautiful testimony of my love and grace and my covering over your life. 
And Jesus put this over them. And he said, I declare you're mine. And I declare that you are loved and you are cherished. And you no longer see the individual pieces and the individual scars, but what you see is the most beautiful testimony of my life and my hope and my presence and my forgiveness and my grace in your life. And that is what you are. That is who you are. And that is what covers you. And it was a beautiful moment. And we prayed together and we cried together. And, and off they went and they met with Jesus that morning in church. And, and it was awesome. I have seen the worst, wrecked, broken, no hope situations. Somehow, some way, Jesus turned them around. And I talk to people all the time that think there's no hope. There's no hope for me. I'm beyond hope. God can't help. God can't show up. And I have seen Jesus do it again and again and again. And I will say fully this morning that um, I'm going I'm to get the, the band to come, actually. I'll get the band to come up. In all respect this morning, I would say that I don't know what you're going through. I don't know why you have to go through it. I don't know why life goes the way it does. But there is one thing that I am confident of, and that is Philippians 1.6. It says, I am confident that Jesus, who began a work in you, will be faithful to complete it, and he won't let you go. And despite the brokenness and the tatteredness and the scars and the dysfunction and the pain and the hurt and the patterns and the abuse and all of the mess, somehow God can stitch that in to a great story. Your story is not defined by the moment you are stuck in when you're going through a trial. And maybe my theology is too weak to reconcile and understand why some stuff happens to some people. And I, I, my brain hurts when I try to think through those answers. I don't know those answers. I don't know why some of us face the things we do. Some of them are big, long-time trials. But I am confident, I am confident in this, that when you get to the end of the story, you have your own garbage. I guarantee you, I know this full well. I, I know it in my heart. I see it in scripture. I have seen it in people's lives. Jesus is a good God. And the end of your story is not the tattered individual patches and all the mess and all the moment you're in. The end of your story is getting through it. And when you get there, Jesus puts that garment over us and he says, you're mine. And what the enemy intended for harm, I have turned into something great and amazing. And it is a testimony of my love and my grace over your life. I have not given up on you. And somehow when we can have that perspective and we can hold on to that in the middle of the pain and in the middle of the difficulty, we can just get courage just to keep going, just to get through it, just to keep 
and let God continue to write his story, not to let that be the end, but to let him keep writing, to keep sewing, to keep putting things together, and let him create that beautiful covering over your life and over your heart. So I want to pray for you this morning. And I wonder as we're just sitting in this moment of prayer with our moment of reflection to the Lord, with your eyes closed and you're just sitting there, I want to take one moment for you to meditate in prayer to the Lord and all the stuff and all the hard stuff and all the difficulties and all the moments that you're stuck in, all the things that you're feeling hopeless, all the hard stuff, would you just lift that to the Lord in this moment, just of silence?